morning. Yeah. Before we go into happiness, um, let's just stop for a moment. There's a whole area of the world that's hurting, a country that's hurting today in Nepal. If you haven't heard, there's over thousands of people who have been killed in an earthquake. Let's just pray. Lord, Spirit of the living God, would you flow through Nepal? Flow through those mountain passes. Flow through there, Lord, and use the believers. There's numbers of believers there, Lord. Raise them up and help them to speak truth and life into those who are missing their families and different things that are happening. But let your will and let your power flow through that country. Watch over and send a mighty, mighty revival of your spirit there, even through this tragedy. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, now we're going to go back to happy. Actually, I just thought of this and I thought I'll share it with you. Um, Pastor Steve mentioned that we served in Guatemala. In the late 70s, there was a tremendous earthquake in Guatemala that killed thousands. The beginning of the 80s, we had the most incredible revival that you could ever imagine. People coming to the Lord left and right, just hundreds and thousands of people uh, came to the Lord after that. So pray for Nepal. Nepal needs our prayers so that they might come to know Christ and then they would be truly happy. <laughs> I like this theme, happy. Um, last week I got a call from Ron Francis and he said, hey, on the, on the CBC's National, they're talking about being happy. How many of you, how many of you saw that? Any of you see it? Uh, um, being happy, uh, on happiness. And they interviewed a guy and they, and they talked about the question, are we happy? Well, you should be happy because... It came out this week that we are number five of the top ten of the happiest places in the world. Does that help you? <laughs> uh, Switzerland is supposed to be the happiest place in the world, and Canada came out number five as one of the happiest places. Now, I don't know how they figure these things out. Um, <laughs> some of the research uh, is, is kind of amazing. They say big cities are the worst for having unhappy people. They mentioned Toronto. Now, if you're from Toronto, be happy and change the statistics, okay? Uh, uh, we should be really happy here in Moose Jaw because we're not a big city. Um, my sister's here from Calgary. She should probably be happy because that is a big city and it's not very happy. No, no, I'm, just, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> some of the other statistics was the more money and the more education, the less happy. Oh, man, that's kind of a shocker, isn't it? They also mentioned there are things don't make you happy. They might be the rewards for being happy. Uh, uh, they said 40% chance higher, uh, you have a 40% higher chance of getting a promotion if you're happy. Why does anybody want to promote somebody who's grumpy? So, okay. Uh, but really, things don't make you happy. In spite of all the stuff that we hear from the advertisers and uh, and trying to manipulate us into buying products that are going to make us happy. The statistics say no. The other thing they came up with was happiness is a choice. I like what Abraham Lincoln on that one quote there said, uh, people are as happy as they choose to be. It's a choice. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. The bottom line of this uh, a fellow who was doing all this research and came out with what were some incredible things that make you happy. Uh, look at this. Gratitude 
kindness, and time with friends and family. <laughs> that guy makes big bucks for just teaching biblical principles. Pastor Steve, you and I never clue in here and get out in the... That guy travels all over. He's even giving seminars in the Pentagon and different places using just biblical principles. Gratitude. Be thankful. Uh, he had a, a thing, you can change the way you are and you can become happy if you, you'll just do some things. And so I think the exercise went something like this. Be grateful for three things a day. Meditate for two minutes each day and praise three people each day. And um, the teaching is you can train yourself to be happy. Interesting. Very interesting. Let's see what the Bible teaches us on that. We're going to go to Philippians uh, this morning. And... Uh, I, I asked them not to put the verses up here because I think we're getting lazy, okay? If you've got your Bible, if not, you've got your, your iPhone there. Now, just a minute. If, you, if you're going to use your, your phone, don't go check your email. Don't go check Pastor Steve's pastor's heart, which he sent out early this morning. <laughs> Read it when you get home. Just go to your Bible, okay? Uh, and if you don't have an app on your phone, grab the Bible in the bench in front of you. My wife will put them back afterwards, okay? So just uh, uh, help yourself. In fact, we're going to be on page 951. And, uh, and so if you want to go to 951 in that Bible that's in the pew there, you're going to find where we're at. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul is writing this. And Paul, as Pastor Steve mentioned last week, was in prison. He's writing this to the people in Philippi. He's in prison. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He doesn't know whether or not he's going to be executed or exonerated. He doesn't know that. And yet he's writing to the Philippians and he's telling them uh, some things uh, about their life and some things about what they need to do and the end result will become happiness. So um, let's start reading there in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Verse 3, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only on your own interest, but also the interest of others. Your attitude, or if you're looking in that Bible there, it says your mindset. I like that. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Your mindset, the way it it. It implies, when they talk about happiness is a choice, yes, you need to change your mind. It is a mindset. Let this mindset be the same type of mindset that Christ had. Or another version says, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. You must have lowliness of mind, another version says, a humble mind, or reset your mind. So happiness is a choice, just as your attitude you can have a lousy attitude. Ever had a lousy attitude? Yeah. Your big toe's hurting and you're grumpy. And you're miserable. And you have to stop and say, whoa, just a minute. What's my attitude today? What is my mindset right now? Um, a few years ago, in the late 70s, a book came out about the upside-down kingdom. Very interesting. 
and talking about the kingdom of God is the opposite of the kingdom we live in. Uh, the kingdom of God is, is just almost the opposite in everything. And I don't think that the kingdom of God is upside down. I think we live in an upside down world, an upside down kingdom, because the enemy, Satan, turned everything around. So what kind of attitude did Christ have? You know, this world is talking about if you want to be happy and you, your attitude should be uh, a certain way, and Christ, his attitude was a different way. Here's what his attitude was. Let's carry on. Verse 6. Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That was his mindset, that he would come and be obedient. What is the mindset that this culture that we live in is teaching us? Our culture teaches us, I have my inalienable inalienable rights I have uh, as a Canadian we have our charter of rights I have my you're violating my human rights I have my way I have what I I need I deserve I must have hey how much of that culture have you bought into if you want a little get stretched a little bit you move to another country and live in another country where they don't have the same rights as you have. Um, I, many years ago, I was sitting with my tutor, and we would talk back and forth as I was learning Spanish, and uh, we got talking about the different, some of the differences. We live in a culture where you're guilt, you're innocent until proven guilty. Uh, they live in a culture where you're guilty until proven innocent. She said to me. How is that? She, she couldn't figure out the American TV shows where they're going to, to court and how the guy had to prove that, that this person had done it. He said, well, she, they knew he should done it. He should be in jail. <laughs> you should throw him in jail until they can prove that they're innocent. It was a whole different mindset. In fact, I met a pastor one time many, many years ago in Mexico whose son was in prison. He had been put in prison because he was walking home from work and he passed in front of a bar where there was a, had been a fight. The police all were showing up and there was a dead person and they put the pastor's son in jail because he had blood on his shoes but he was walking home from his work where he worked in a butcher shop. And that's why he had blood on his shoes. He ended up in jail and had to prove that he was innocent. Uh, well, some of these inalienable rights, these rights, ah, I, I have, I deserve this, I must have this, aren't? level playing field all around this world. I have my rights. I This and that. We're down to tax time, right? Don't even want to mention that word, right? Uh, oh, I have, uh, you know, I deserve a break. All of the politicians want to make it look like they're giving you all a break. I deserve this. I must have this. But I like the story of the man who came to Canada and at the end of the year when he had his taxes done and they said, well, now you have to pay this much. He looked at that number and he said, is that all I have to pay to live in this country? How many of you say that when you go to pay your taxes? 
Is that's all I have to pay? You know, this mindset. What is the negative mindset? How can we get into a, this whole selfish? Remember verse 3, it said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I don't like how the government's spending my money. Oh, we better just back off and say, hey, Lord, I'm going to put you in charge of my life and my money. Uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, considering others better than yourselves. Selfish ambition, what's that? That's me first. I have to be number one. My ideas are the most important. My thoughts are the most important. My needs are the first priority. I have to win this argument. I have to win, period. I have to be the winner. That's all selfish ambition. What does humility look like? How can I serve? How can I help you? What do you think? What do you need? Hmm? What are your feelings on this? How many marriages would he turn around if instead of, I have to have my way, it has to go this way, you have to do this, it would be, what do you need? How can I help you? What did Christ's humility look like? Let's go back and read verse 6. Who being in the very nature God. Here is God. He didn't even want to take on equality with God as something he had to, had to demand. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Here was God, the one who made everything, the all-powerful one, the universe and all the rest, and he took on one of these earth suits. He took on one of these bodies. He came and he was born and he lived here. Can you imagine the humbleness, uh, humbling that? Right down to, my Bible tells me that he was tempted every way you were. In other words, he woke up grumpy or he maybe had a headache or maybe he, you know, I know we have these pictures that Christ came and he just went through this life uh, untouchable because he was so perfect. No, he was tempted and he did not sin. So I imagine that he was tempted to be grumpy. He was tempted to be miserable. He was tempted uh, to, he had a pain in his big toe sometimes, you know. I, I don't know all of the things that he went through. I know the agony that he went through uh, in, in communicating uh, some of the things that he knew and people were coming against him with. He was made, he took on the very nature of a servant even though he was God. And you and I complain about having to serve someone or having to, to humble ourselves in a situation and say we're sorry or we won't do it because I don't have to do that because uh, I'm, I'm above that. I'm, I'm too good for that. Here was God in the flesh. In John it said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. He came and he took on this flesh and he said, I will lay aside all of my power and I will come into this and I will walk here and I will live here because I love you and I care for you. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself to the extreme of becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He didn't just 
come and give himself, but he went to death on the cross, which was the most horrific type of death. This was at a criminal. You know, so many times we're concerned what people might think about us. He humbled himself to give his life as the most unworthy type of human being possible. He went right that far. And you and I, we have trouble just saying we're sorry. We have trouble in recognizing that someone else has more needs than I do. And caring and giving. And we struggle because that whole selfish side comes out. I, I want what I want. I need what I need. I have to have it. You know, when we humble ourselves, incredible things happen. Just a few weeks ago, I was in uh, Puebla, Mexico, and uh, I had a wonderful time of, of having breakfast with a couple there who have been pastoring a church for many years. But the first time we met them, my wife and I were crossing Mexico. It was in the Easter of 1984. That's a long time ago, 31 years ago. And we stayed with this couple. They had just come to know the Lord. So when I was with them this time, I said, tell me again the story because we, we, we just kind of met you at the very beginning. And so he was telling the story. He said he was about 20 and she was about 17. They were married. He was fooling around. He had other women on the side and he was living the life. And uh, in fact, he had embezzled money from his company. He was just, his life was a disaster. And suddenly his wife changed. She literally humbled herself. She wouldn't fight with him anymore. He got really frustrated. She, she wouldn't fight with him anymore. And, and he, he didn't know what, what he was going to do. One day he came in. He said he came in and she was reading her Bible. And he just grabbed it and hucked it across the room. And she just got up, went over, picked up her Bible, went back down, sat down, began to read. He couldn't handle it. He didn't know what was going on. In the midst of this, some guys kidnapped him, stuck him in the trunk of his car. For six hours, they drove around, and they ended up dumping off with his hands tied behind, out in a, a forest, and he barely survived. And later on, they found the car, and his wife humbly gave him money to fix the car because it had been wrecked. All of these things. But because she humbled herself, he was willing to go to a meeting. He thought it was a big party. He got there, and the people had their hands up and were worshiping God. He didn't know what to do. So he gave in, and he gave his life to the Lord. And he had only been three months knowing the Lord when we first met him. And now he's a man of God who serves in his, his church. He has a great church down there. Uh, his, his wife has a, a Christian school, and, and uh, all kinds of things have happened. And it came back to her being willing to humble herself and say, I'm just going to trust God. See, the upside-down kingdom... We start to think the way Christ came and humbled instead of thinking, I have to have my own way. I have to do it. The results of that humbling oneself are incredible. Look at the results for Christ. Let's read. Let's go back here, and we're going to read verse 9. Therefore, because he humbled himself and went to the death, death on the cross, the lowest possible expression for mankind... 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I get shivers when I read this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> what joy, what happiness, what incredible, incredible exaltation that came because he was willing to humble himself. He was willing to humble himself and say, I'll do it. I don't care what they say. I don't care about the beating. I don't care about any of that. I don't care that I have to take upon me all the sins of these, on the sinless one, all the sins of mankind. I will do it. What joy. This is where true happiness comes. If we will change our mindset, if we will change our attitude and take on an attitude like Christ and say, hey, I, I'm here. I give of myself. I want you to take over, Lord. I want you to be the Lord of my life. But then you say, well, Doug, just a minute. If I, if I give in to him, he'll win. If, if, I, if, I, or if I say to her, uh, well, you're right, or, or forgive me, she will take over. Listen, it is Christ we want to take over in our lives. <laughs> we just have to do the humbling. And because Christ humbled himself... God exalted him higher and higher and higher than anyone ever. Uh, incredible. It says here that he was exalted where everyone would bow and he would be the king of all. Incredible. How should we then live? Let's go to verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, don't get confused there. I've had people say, oh, you've got to keep working to get your salvation. No, it doesn't say that. What it says, it doesn't say continue to work for your salvation. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Uh, the, the New Living Translation is, is a little clearer. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. It's not working for your salvation. Those that feel that they have to work to merit their salvation do not understand that that is totally impossible. So if you're here this morning and you're kind of saying, Doug, I don't really understand all of that. Uh, I've been really trying to be a good person and I've, you know, I've been trying to do good things. No, just a minute. It's not your good things. It's because he humbled himself and went to the cross. It's not your good works. There's different phases to this salvation. Number one, I'm saved from my sin. I can't work to get my salvation it's because of his goodness I'm being saved by walking in this as it says I'm showing the results of my salvation as I walk and humble myself and then someday we're going to be eternally saved in his presence and that's going to be incredible but work hard to show the results of your salvation in other words humble yourself if you know that humble yourself 
Let his spirit work in you. Obeying with deep, deep reverence and fear. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's God who, he tells you, this is my plan for you, and then he gives you the strength to do it. So if you've been in a struggle, maybe in your home or with your kids, and you've been just, you're, just a minute, step back, humble yourself, say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? What do you want me to do? What, what, what is your desire for me? For it's God who, who works in you to give you the will, the desire, and to help you work that out. In his, so do everything without complaining and arguing. Ha! Isn't that easy? That happens in your house all the time, right? No complaining, no arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Paul is telling the church in Philippi. Hey, so that no one can criticize you. This is a change of mindset. You want to be happy? You've got to change your mindset. You've got to change your attitude. You need to humble yourself. And as you humble yourself, you will end up experiencing great joy. Now, it might not come in the very instance. So some of you say, yeah, I'm going to go home and I'm going to say I'm sorry for everything and then everything will change. No, not necessarily. The cross took time. There are some people who have had to be very patient for years and humble themselves for years and years and years, but the end result will be glorious. So don't take it as just a magic, magic thing. Uh, back to that uh, CBC interview. Uh, they were interviewing some of the, the, the companies that have put on these things uh, doing great good deeds to make all their people happy. And then the lady says, uh, because if we do this, uh, our company will make money. I'm going, whoa, just a minute. Their whole objective of getting everybody happy is to make money. Here Paul is saying, you need to humble yourself so, and you'll be happy. Why? So no one can criticize you and you can live a clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. <laughs> What's the result? You living in this world, a crooked and perverse world, you don't have to go very far to find out how crooked and perverse this world is. Just watch the news. This week, so sad, up in Tisdale crooked and perverse twisted thinking that the enemy has grasped, grasped onto to destroy a family. Crooked and perverse things that are going on all around us. In the midst of all of this, if you and I will humble ourselves and be happy and filled with the peace of God which causes such great joy in us, we will be like shining like bright lights and people will be attracted to talk to you and say, I can't believe you. I can't believe you. I worked with a lady back when I was about 18 and my mother passed away very suddenly and this lady I worked with said to me a few weeks, maybe about a month or two after my mom passed away, I don't understand you and your family. Her mother had passed away 18 years, I think, before that, and she never gotten over it. 
But because of Christ in us and because of his joy, we were able to carry on. She said, I don't understand you. How can you be? How can you have? And it was, I had to stop and think, it's because of my hope in Christ Jesus. My mom is gone, but I'm going to see her again. I have an eternal hope. Uh, we will spend eternity together. These few short years that are left here, uh, okay, I'm going to miss her, but eternity together. We have such a hope. We have a hope. If we'll just humble ourselves and say, okay, Lord, take over. He's going to do a lot of changes. But really, this time is so short compared to eternity. The joy that we're going to know so can you be a bright light in a perverse world if you will change your mindset and have the attitude of Christ Jesus? Humble yourself, submit, give up, stop fighting for it all. He can supply it. He can supply everything you need. All this me and mine and I got to get and have and do doesn't produce a lot of happiness, a lot of frustration. Sometimes we better just sit back and say, okay, Lord, what do you want from me? Verse 16, to finish off, hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. And here he is sitting in jail and he says, hey, do this. And someday, <laughs> someday, we're all going to rejoice together. We're going to be happy. <laughs> You know, really bad things happen in this world. There's all kinds of things. It's a perverse and twisted and corrupted world. You and I have to change our attitude and change our mindset and think like Christ and humble ourselves and say, okay, Lord, what do you want from me? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. As I was praying about this this week, I felt that this morning there's going to be someone here who in your marriage and in your home life, there's been a lot of friction lately. It's because nobody wants to give in. No one wants to give up. And I think the Spirit of the Lord is saying, today is the day to stop. Lay aside all your pride. Lay aside all your arrogance that you have to win and just humble yourself. I don't know who that's for, but if that's in your ballpark today, just say, hey, I don't want to carry on with this. I don't have to win. I'm going to let Christ take over. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to say I'm sorry, and I want to walk in that. And you know what? Happiness will come. Might not come today, but it'll come down the road. Extreme happiness. Because Christ takes over when we change our mindset and we exalt Him. Would you stand?